When we think of technology, perhaps we think about the personal computer of the 1980s, or the, the mainframe computer of the 1950s, or photography, cinema, or even the Industrial Revolution. But where might this relationship between humans and technology really begin? The French philosopher Bernard Stiegler has some important insights into this question and its implications for society and culture as a space of reflection and thinking. Hello and welcome. My name is John Lynch, Associate Professor of Film and Media at Caster University. Today I'll be talking to Dr Ross Abinet, Senior Lecturer in Social and Political Theory from the University of Birmingham in the UK. Ross has published six books in the area of social theory, technology and cultural studies. And his most recent work, which I'll be discussing with him today, is the book The Thought of Bernard Stiegler, Capitalism, Technology and the Politics of Spirit. Welcome, Ross. Your latest book uh, is on the work of Bernard Stiegler. Um, why did you decide to write about him? What, what was it about his ideas that you thought was important to communicate? Um, I think the, the the main reason I I decided to to look at his work really was because I think he's someone who uh, has made a serious attempt really to try and bring together certain philosophical insights that he has into the nature of the relationship between human beings uh, and uh, technology and to try and show how that's had certain practical effects on culture, on politics, on society and on the kind of trajectory of modernity if you like, the way in which um, modern societies, modern industrial societies have evolved and the kind of problems that are faced by those societies now and also kind of possible solutions. So that that's really the reason why I decided to have a look um, seriously at his work and uh, the kind of philosophical endeavour that he's pursued for the last few years. So what would you say uh, that he sees as the, uh, the biggest challenges that we fa face today then in terms of these questions? Okay, what, are, well, what, are the, what are the dangers for us that yeah. he's really, you're saying he's responding to? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, three things, I suppose. The first thing is that um, what, we've, uh, what we have now, um, or what's emerged over the last 20 years or so, is a kind of sea change in the nature of the technologies that exist now. Um, one of them is biotechnology um, and um, what's happened in the sphere of biotechnologies is that um, the very fundamental building blocks of life are now subject to certain um, technological manipulations that allow us to change what we are as physical organic beings um, the kind of basic structures of organic life are things that we can now manipulate so there's an idea that um, new technologies are really changing the ontology, if you like, of human beings and human societies. But on top of that, there's also the emergence of new media technologies where um, we inhabit a, a kind of virtual aesthetic sphere now, which is becoming increasingly powerful. So we have uh, a way of representing reality, which is a copy of reality, but which is also encompassing and um, increasingly our experience is controlled and manipulated by these kind of virtual systems that we are part of. 
So one of the ideas that he's presenting is that, in a sense, our reality is now being algorithmically controlled by technologies which mediate and moderate our experience in a way that's never been possible before. It's almost like a kind of total immersion. Um, and so these two things come together. They come together in industrialized societies, whereby the um, technologies through which we are physically um, manipulated, um, genetic technologies, biomedical technologies, etc., are making our existence less certain, if you like. There, there are less kind of um, solid anchorage points that we can say, you know, belong to the body, for example, because these things are constantly being manipulated by new technological forms. And on the other hand, we have a, a kind of um, total mediation of our experience through these kind of new digital systems. And what these two things bring together in this kind of new modernity that he's attempting to describe is a way of, is a totally mediated experience, if you like. So there's an idea that the, the systems through which we represent reality are the things which come to form our experience in ways that have never been possible before, and which also control our orientation towards others, towards the future, and towards what we, towards our, the kind of things that we fundamentally desire as human beings. So we're certainly used to thinking about technology as something external to us we yes. you know that uh, in, in it we, we have a, a sort of common sense view of of technology as something that we choose to use in different ways and things like that yeah but how do, how does how does Stiegler uh, conceptualize the relationship between us as as human beings and and technology what you what, what you would call technologies in that sense clearly today we have I don't know, a, a good way of describing it. We have a very high-tech environment. Yeah. We, 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 we carry technology, highly sophisticated technologies in an everyday way. This is unparalleled in, in sort of human existence. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's not surprising to, in that sense, say, well, we need to ask questions about the fact that we're surrounded, and as you say, immersed in all of this. But how does he describe this relationship in a more... You know, general philosophical sense as such. Yeah, he's he's. I mean, the 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 book, the central, the centerpiece of of his work is a three volume um, is a three volume work called uh, Technics and Time, and he addresses that question in Technics and Time at some length. Um, and the, the the fundamental concepts, the two concepts really, that um, through which he develops this idea of a relationship between human beings and technology are firstly the idea of originary technicity, and the second one is the is the idea of the pharmacon. Uh, so I'll just say a little bit about each of those, um, as that actually bears directly on the question that you asked in the first place, which is, you know, the kind of dangers that are uh, formed by the, the, the kind of development of technology that we find ourselves, the place, the conjuncture that we find ourselves in today. So the idea of originary technicity is an interesting one. Um, his, 
if we go back to the Frankfurt School um, and particularly Adorno's work, there's there's um, in in negative dialectics, Adorno characterizes the relationship between technology, capital, and human beings as one of damage. Um, the last chapter is really about this this idea of um, a, a kind of heightened awareness. Critical theory has a has a a responsibility to develop a kind of heightened awareness of the damage that technology does to us. And so, you know, the relationship is one uh, where technology and human beings are have an external relationship. And there's there's a kind of, there's a, a danger in that relationship. There's a danger of, of kind of damage to the particularity of human beings, to the organic vulnerability that we all have. Uh, Stiegler questions that that relationship and he wants to suggest that the relationship between human beings and technology is one that has always been intimately and essentially the two have been always bound to each other and his idea is that um, the emergence of self-consciousness is inconceivable without technological um, supplements and the first technological supplements come um, in the, the Olduvai Gorge in Africa which are sharpened flintstones. Sharpened flintstones represent the first uh, use of technological instruments by human beings. And he says this, this implements a process whereby the supplement becomes increasingly important to the evolutionary trajectory of human beings. So the idea is that using sharpened flintstones allows the emergence of a uh, more complex culture, a uh, more complex division of labor, and that, that um, leads to a more um, developed cerebral cortex amongst human beings, higher cognitive abilities, the emergence of certain cultural differentiations like a kind of aesthetic sense, uh, the development of societal mythologies, etc., etc. All of the things that we regard as part of the civilizing process of human beings. And he says explicitly that what we have with technology is a form of elevation. So for him to say that there is this that technology is this kind of danger is true, but we also have to acknowledge that it's the condition of an elevation of human beings, a cultural, cognitive um, elevation of human beings. And so his history of technology, the history of technological development, is one which articulates, firstly, the idea that, that technology is the primary driver of human civilization and that culture has to be understood as a way of accommodating this kind of evolutionary dynamic that takes place through technological systems. And so there's an idea that there is this kind of essential relationship between technology, technological supplements, and the development of human culture, human intellect, and also the kind of physical, organic uh, constitution of human beings. And this kind of brings us to the idea of, of the pharmacon, the idea of the originally technological origin of human consciousness, the, the original te technological origin of human culture, etc. It's something which is poison and cure. Okay, so there's an idea that without technology, we don't become what we are. We don't get the Iron Age. We don't get the Bronze Age. We don't get the emergence of, of the kind of uh, technologies which bring about these kind of massive leaps forward in, in um, productivity, a massive leap forward in human culture. So technology is something which is elevating, but on the other hand, and this is, this is why um, his work is so important for understanding what modernity is, at some point 
technology begins to take on a dynamic of its own. And this is something that really starts with the emergence of things like the shift from Newtonian to Einsteinian physics, the emergence of, of uh, relativity theory, the idea of a world which is controlled by certain universal laws that we can use to manipulate uh, the material reality in which we exist, the emergence of new media technologies, the emergence of, of new calculative systems. All of these things are, have undoubted utilitarian benefits, but on the other hand, they also have a kind of dynamic of their own, and the concern that he has is that these systems situate us in a world from which the symbolic conditions of community, identity, responsibility and culture are increasingly absent. And that we as human beings are integrated into a system that does not recognize our capacity for reflection, for judgment, aesthetic sensibility, for culture and for what he calls spirit. And that's the danger, and that's the crisis, if you like, that we have now. Okay, I mean, let's think about some of those things a bit, because I think there's a there's a lot of interesting stuff there. First of all, I mean, it's very fascinating to have someone connecting the the the, the earliest material traces of of tool making. Yeah. Uh, in the same paragraph, if you like, as yeah, yeah. the most current genetic engineering. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, and and um, what that raises for me then is is the question, I mean, does technology come before culture in the way that, that you talked about it there? So culture, I think you said culture is a way of sort of accommodating them. Yeah. So technology is the driver, uh, clearly, in that sense. Yeah. And and that's a grounded in the, just a, 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 a biological evolutionary principle, which is those communities that developed... Uh, the ability in, in in a sense of being able to repeat the making of these very most primal tools endured yeah. Yeah. whilst others didn't yeah and yeah. and so it's that kind of evolutionary underpinning yes um and then culture develops around that yes. to facilitate that process and again it's an evolutionary thing that those that didn't develop adequate <clears throat> cultural forms would themselves have disappeared whilst others again would have endured again I mean yeah. it's just as simple as, in one sense as that uh, he does he does say at one point in um, the first volume of Technics and Time that the, the first tool the first tool users were pre-linguistic um, and for him what he's saying is that it's that the the hominid species that are the first to be able to deploy tools are the ones who develop the cultural and also the neurological and physiological capacity to develop a culture, to develop language. So he does explicitly say that the use of technology is primordial in the sense that it predates language and predates culture. The shift towards a conscious, a self-consciousness that will have the capacity to be able to become, uh, to able to able to express itself and become, for want of a better word, institutionalized, the basis of a societal mythology, the basis of taboos, the basis of all the kind of 
I don't know, Freudian ideas about repression, for example, that we understand as being the basis of a kind of civilizational culture, that is all facilitated by the emergence of a primordial form of consciousness which can only come about through the use of tools and the deployment of tools. It reminds me very much of that, uh, you know, one of the most famous jump cuts in cinema history in 2001, A Space Odyssey, where yeah. it goes from the, yeah, yeah. the ape with the bone tool and then the yeah, space station. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it, yeah, yeah. There is yeah, a connection yeah. in that way. Yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, okay, so then, but what we have had in the last perhaps 100 years, say, if you because you, you, you mentioned things like relativity theory and stuff, is a qualitative shift. Yeah. So, I mean, is that... Is it credible to say that it's it's the same but has become dynamic? It's You know, I mean, is it is it stretching this idea? Yeah. I mean, what we have, as you say, clearly the the last 100 years in terms of technology seems something so so different yeah um but it but it, you think it's convincing that that uh, uh the, there is this kind of universal process still at, still at work yeah yeah i mean there's a distinction that he makes between techniques technology and techno science which runs through his work. I mean, techniques would be the characterization of the relationship between, you know, hominids, first hominids and the, 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 the cleaved flintstone. Yeah. That would be techniques. He, he wouldn't want to call it technology in the sense okay. that it doesn't have that sort of... Um, well, it's, it's not something that has that kind of pre-planned reflexive history, if you like, you know, that, that it's part of a scientific culture. So in, its, in a sense, there's an, an element of accidentality about it. I mean, the, the first sharpened flints may have been found rather than fashioned, and then you use it, and then someone gets the idea that if you hit it, mm. you fracture it in a way that, you know, so it becomes repeatable. Mm. So that's that would be an example of kind of techniques. And then okay. technology is something that, that develops through... Perhaps not an accidental relationship, but a kind of emergent relationship between science and engineering, if you like. The, the, you know, the idea that um, it's possible to devise tools on the basis of certain scientific insights that allow you to manipulate your environment. But science perhaps has a certain independence from it, you know, the kind of Greek classical idea that science is something that's actually quite close, natural philosophy it's close to natural philosophy and it has its own ends its own goals and it's 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 bound up with the pursuit of truth and insight etc etc and then what we get later on is the emergence of what he calls techno science where this whole idea of uh, science having its own specific goals becomes eroded and research programs are conducted largely for what you can get out of them in terms of the consequences of developing technologies that allow us to manipulate, um, for example, the building blocks of life through genetic technologies in specific ways. 
So for him, one of the one of the most important things that emerges in the kind of mid twentieth century is the development of this kind of programmatic forms of techno science and their relationship to what he calls hyper industrialized capitalist societies. The two get closer and closer to each other, to the point where we live in a society whose dynamics are controlled by this idea of techno science. And so for him, you know, there's. And this comes back to your first question, really. There's a there's a relationship between what's actually happening to reality, to our physical reality, to our organic reality, to our being in the world, if you like, in the way that we can be manipulated and transformed um, by technoscientific interventions. And this brings up questions about you know where we're going, because now in the short to medium term, it's possible for us to think about. Um, technologies that are being developed that will um, prolong our lives, 120-year lifespan with, you know, relatively good health right up until you die is not something which is a fantasy anymore. There are things in the pipeline that in the next 20, 30 years will probably be able to deliver that. There are all kinds of major transformations, major trace, and major changes that are coming now. So there's a there's a there's this idea of um, a techno scientific program that's producing things through its own power, through its own ability to 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 be able to change and manipulate reality. So that's one part of this idea that technological programs sustain their own momentum. The other part, and this comes back to the kind of cultural studies aspect, is that the way we understand reality. Is increasingly controlled by the culture industries that we're embedded in, and this is something that I'm kind of really interested in at the moment. It's the way in which futures, the future, is represented to us through these technologies. What we want, um, what the future will look like, and this is something that you know, a number of accelerationists, technological messianists, people who want to say, look. All we need to do is to people like Elon Musk, you know. All we need to do is to really sink money into the into the industries that are going to be the ones that save us, that are able to head off the worst impacts of global warming, the things that are going to be able to give us a hundred and twenty year lifespan, the things that you know we imagine we want. What what is presented to us through these kind of culture industries? Is a future which is a kind of technological utopia, and obviously that's something. The political consequences of that is something which are very important. You know about about getting people to want a particular kind of future, and for for Stiegler, this is highly problematic. It's highly problematic because this kind of idea about don't worry about it, invest in the right things, everything will come out okay. For him, is something which is utterly opposed to the kind of ethical responsibilities that he calls spirit, the idea of an ethical community about judgments, about actually making serious decisions which are sacrificial. Perhaps there are certain things we can't have because those things are essentially bound up with selfish wants. I want to live to be 120. Well, what about people who lived in the second and third worlds? What about them? You know, what about the kind of fact that that they don't have the kind of basic needs and requirements that you know all human beings should be entitled to? So the is 
would it be fair to say that what, what, you make a distinction between techniques and technology? Yeah. Is is what we understand by technology essentially that which comes with capitalism for us? Um, that it begins. I mean that 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 process of of acceleration and that pro, that the beginning of that self generating yeah. aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about the reasons why other cultures didn't industrialize and didn't grow in the yeah, same yeah. way yeah is, yeah is is often put down to that idea it, it, and and that leads on then to this the, the the last thing that you said really i mean how do how does he separate out for 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 many cultural theorists what what drives this is is of course uh profit yeah, in, in in economic yeah. sense, yeah. Um, biotech is driven by <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the huge yeah. rewards that's going to come from this. Hyper, it's not altruism. No, that's what hyper profits. Uh, you know, that's absolutely. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, so, f- for many people, the point is, is that well, it's impossible to separate. You know, that dynamic um, and. Uh, um, that that system which which provides you with so much to to then say well we should stop this at a certain yeah. point yeah. is that something that's kind of I mean how can that be done without the system itself stopping doing what it is designed yeah. to do yeah yeah um, yeah I think there you know there is a there is a, a very clear there's a very clear idea in his work that one of the aspects of modern capitalism is the fact that hyper-industrial society and techno-science are married to each other and that without the kind of, um, without the profit motive and without the drive for capitalization, you don't get that or you don't get it in the same way. Um, so that's, that's undoubtedly true. Um, his, his attitude towards or his idea of capitalism and capitalization is something that we can't get rid of. It's not possible. He's, he says that, um, well, he says that it's beyond our time frame for us to be able to think about a society from which um, the, the logic of capitalization is absent is not, is not something that we could usefully contemplate because the kind of, I, I'm guessing, I, I just think that the, the, the logistics of trying to invent a whole new logic of exchange which somehow excluded the profit motive and and the, the the concepts of utility that belong to capital i think for him would be something that would be vacuous and so for him what we need is is a system that is able to challenge some of the more destructive or toxic elements of capitalization to question it, to reevaluate ideas of work, to reevaluate ideas of employment, to reevaluate ideas of value, to reevaluate ideas of ethics, and to reevaluate ideas of community. And um, in essence, that's something which his kind of works on um, the, uh, the, the new form of political economy and the economy of contribution that he talks about in some of his later works. That's what that's gesturing towards, you know, to a, a transformation of the techno-scientific economy of capitalism. Okay, so um, you say so that he has the th- 
three volumes of Techniques and Time. Yes. Why time? Why uh, techniques? You've explained mm. that very well. That's very clear as, the, as this has driven uh, all aspects of, of human, the, the very nature of, of human existence. What's the time aspect of this then? Where does that come in? I mean, why, why would you have um, a volu three volumes of techniques and time that points to the significance? Uh, but well, the, I mean, it, it, well, we, you can see it in the first volume. You can certainly see it in the first volume because the emergence of the Flintstone is something that itself is a kind of temporal event in the sense that it opens up the possibility of a culture which has discrete forms or a discrete division of labour, if you like. You know, there's the, it's probably a really kind of crude terms, you know, you change the techniques by which you hunt things. You know, the idea is that deploying these, the deploying the Flintstone as a weapon perhaps will change the hunting techniques that you have. And then it will change things like food preparation, skinning animals, okay. being able to utilize the skins for um, clothing and protection. So you go, humans as such, go from sort of immediate reaction to yeah. environmental yeah, uh, exactly. uh, <coughs> circumstances to some notion of temporality. Yeah. As, so uh, they become, at some, to some level, future Oriented. Yes, that's right. That's it's not happened before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the... Yeah. So it's a kind of... it's a the, 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 the emergence of tools is the emergence of a culture, and a culture yeah. is always an awareness of time and the appropriateness of certain events and calendriety and all, all of the stuff that, um, you know, is is part of this idea of a cultural dynamic, which is which in the end ends up being more than just utility. It ends up being ceremonial, symbolic, all of the things that we associate with the humanities and civilization. But the 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 bit the place where he really identifies, where he really kind of starts to un unpack the idea of time and its relationship to the formation of the individual is the third volume, where he talks about cinematic time, and that's quite interesting. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, that was my next question, really. Oh, okay. why, why in the third volume, cinema, yeah, as he puts yeah, it, is... Yeah, yeah, and where, and, 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 and And we can lead into this more bigger discussion around the culture industries, which, yeah. of course, comes from that Adorno and Holcomer yeah. idea. So why why cinema, then, again, as, as an absolutely key moment in right. human cult, culture? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I think this is why the this is why the culture industry is 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 such a big presence in his work, uh, and one of the one of the f reasons I kind of find his work attractive is because he takes the Frankfurt School a lot more seriously than than some of the kind of French philosophers do. Um, you know, for Derrida, for example, the Frankfurt School is Walter Benjamin. <laughs> he doesn't really read any of the rest of them, whereas. Um, um, Stiegler talks extensively about Adorno, about Horkheimer and about Marcuse. Uh, and he's, he's interested in the way in which cinema affects how we understand ourselves as individuals, how it affects the process of individuation, that is how we become individuals, how we form ourselves as individuals with certain um, desires, um, certain goal orientations, etc, etc. So that's that seems paradoxical in the sense that this is in one sense the first mass medium yeah but you're saying it is connected to the notion of 
individuation. It is because it uh, for 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 him the the culture industry thesis is really it's a discourse about how desires become controlled by visual spectacles. Is a film is something which is a powerful affective medium, and it draws us into um, a sense of time which is very different from the kind of orthographic. Um, orthographic in the sense of in the sense writing. of the, the writing and the printed word and the okay. book um, yeah. in religious iconography, all that mm. sort of stuff. That that kind of orthographic medium. He wants to suggest that that cinema is something that starts to retime us, you know, to to, oh. to turn us into individuals whose orientations, whose so uh, the program industries begin to program yeah, us. Exactly, that's right. exactly right. I mean, the culture industries become the programming industries later on with digital um, technologies. But the, the prototypical form of it is cinema. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, that's why he's so concerned to look at cinema and, and how, how this is the kind of thin end of the wedge, if you like, where um, cinema starts to retime the audiences, times to retime re their desires, mm -hmm. retime their wants, uh, their orientation towards life as consumers, their movement away from symbolic communities, the movement away from religion, the movement away, you know, the movement towards what Weber called disenchantment, if you like. Because, um, you know, it's the idea there is... Culture industries are almost a kind of re-enchantment of the world after religion. You know, it provides us with a kind of reorientation of ourselves, if you like, towards the world. New, a new imaginary. Yeah, that's right. And as I, I don't know, it's a nice example that he gives. Um, it's a it's a Hitchcock, it's a Hitchcock TV program. There used to be in in America there was a pro where program it was a half an hour program. It's from the late fifties, early sixties, called Alfred Hitchcock introduces or something like that. Yeah, he, he'd that's come it. Yeah. he'd come on and talk about the the film the program. And there's one about um, there's one about somebody being trapped inside a bank vault. It's called Forty Eight Hours. He's trapped over a weekend, and it's half an hour. And he says that you can watch this film, this little program for half an hour, multiple times, and you cannot avoid the sense of suspense that it builds up, even though you know the way that this is going to turn out. So there's this idea that, you know, it's incredibly powerful and we start to live our lives through the sense of suspense that these media are able to build up within us, right. you know. So that would be, so cinema again would be the first, uh, it clearly, of course, cinema is industrialised, it's an industrial process very, very quickly. Um, it's the first mass system of capture yes. in a way. Yes, exactly. You have yeah. a captive audience. Yeah, that's right. And but not just the fact that they're in a room watching something, but that they begin to I mean it's interesting because it goes back to what you were saying it's, it seems like to the um the the first stone tools etc that it it actually affects the neural pathways and yeah. we we can see that you know yeah, can, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. link changes and it developments and in the same way then our brains yeah in the earlier 20th century become um captured in that way that i mean that certainly it certainly sounds very kind of convincing in all sorts of ways but i, I know as many people have said the you know the frankfurt school view of 
the culture industries. Yeah. Um, seems a bit like a, a bit too um, all encompassing. I mean, we I teach film studies, and uh, whilst we uh, can look back to the uh, the Hollywood films, the classic Hollywood films, and the melodramas and different things. And we can, uh, you know, they're, they're very complex things. But we can certainly say, would they perpetuate aspects of um, consumerism in the family, especially in different things like yeah. this and uh, yeah. gender and and, and and all of that. But we also look back to examples of what you might call kind of avant-garde filmmakers yeah. that we elevate to the level of poets and yeah. Yeah. the you know the, the greatest painters that we've ever had so in that sense cinema is incredibly it's it's okay to characterize hollywood as an industry yeah definitely but you know yeah. i mean it does he does he make space for those other practices that maybe you know because there's yeah. always been if you like other kinds of filmmakers at any point no absolutely i mean the the, the uh the just to sort of leap forward a bit the 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 ars industrialis industrial art project that he has is something that is a provocation for exactly those kinds of um unprogrammed practice you know it's it's a, it's a, an attempt to kind of stimulate uh, artistic production um, through the use of new digital technologies, which is transgressive, which which is artistic in the sense that it's not just programmed algorithmically, if you like, by the by the culture industries and the program industries. So he's not he's not saying, and I don't think the I don't think the well perhaps Adorno was. He's not saying that culture has been eaten by the culture industry, okay. and um, there are places when. There are places where Adorno makes it seem as if that the cinema is by definition a complicated light show that bewitches people and doesn't allow them. You know, every time I go to the cinema, I come out that bit more stupid. I mean, I think he genuinely believed that. I don't think Horkheimer did. You know, there are essays that he wrote that suggest that actually te new technological forms may have a kind of liberating effect. But perhaps Adorno did think that. And in his later work, that seems to bear that out. You know that, that the culture industry is damaging, and it's something that you know is, is is effects are largely toxic. I don't think that's Stiegler's position, although I do think his analysis of the politics of stupidity is uh, an attempt to show that vast tracts of it are, uh, and it is toxic and does have a toxic effect on us as individuals. It reminds me very much of. Uh, uh, a scene from, um, of course, Stiegler develops a you know telev television. He says yeah. he sort of extends yeah. many of those cinematic processes, and of course, it, it has certain differences. But it reminds me of a scene from um, the uh, science fiction um, uh, film. What was the Arnold Schwarzenegger film? Um, oh, what, ter Terminator. Oh, Terminator. Terminator. Right. And right, there's a yeah. scene. So you have this po post-apocalyptic world where the m machines, where technology has tried to annihilate humans, and we see a, the, a camera pan of, of the of a child's face on watching a TV screen yeah, to reveal yeah, yeah. that there's just a fire inside. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems yeah. a commentary on the idea that you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, this uh, this absorption into the 
yeah, television. Abs- absolutely, yeah. Because yeah, it reminds yeah. me a bit of, say, the, the work of the American scholar uh, Neil Postman. I mean, he wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Yeah, yeah. And, but that doesn't describe Stiegler's entirety of... No. But I'm, just the, yeah. that, that's, a, that's the kind of poison part of, yeah. of this. Yeah. Distraction yeah. and yeah. superficial absorption. Yeah, I mean, you know, his 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 work is in many ways uh, an attempt to show that the, with the emergence of digital media, there's a formal capacity of response and a democratization of media that is is something that is a a potential that emerges with the new technology, uh, and that clearly wasn't there when it was just broadcast media. All right, and we talked about that last night. Actually, we talked about some of the extremely poor kind of uh, television programs that existed as you know as recently as the early 1980s. You know, the production values weren't great, and um, you know the stuff that was being produced was of a relatively low concept, low level. And you know, so what you get with the emergence of digital technologies is clearly the emergence of a, a leap forward, you know, a, a kind of constitution of, a, of, a, of an entire new virtual sphere, a new program of representation. There's no doubt about that. And then what comes with it is, is the potential for response. You know, there is a provocation there. But I think what he wants to, what he wants to suggest is that this is not something, it's not enough to say that that formal potential exists you know, we have to kind of reinvent it. And if we don't, if it's if it's not something that does provoke people to produce responses to these kind of algorithmic forms of identity that are imposed upon us, then in the end what's going to happen is that we will become completely integrated and the processes will become synaptogenic. You know, there will be less and less reflection, less and less cultural, um, what he calls ultium. Yeah. Actually thinking about um, the, kind of, the kind of people that we want to be, the kind of cultural practices that we want to engage in, the kind of communities that we want to have. That will cease and the, it will be imposed upon us by industries that uh, algorithmically guess what we want. And eventually, the kind of reflexiveness of being an individual, formation of you as a subject, will become something that is produced for you. And that's his fear. That's his fear. It's certainly a, yeah, a kind of fear within um, technological commentary in that sense. It does remind me, though, in recent years, say, we look at Netflix, which of course is driven by an algorithmic engine, yes. very much, and it certainly pushes uh, sh- shows and films to to you as the con- as consumer in terms of you know your in a kind of predictive way. The fear in the early years of of, of Netflix was that they would uh, gather the data of people's viewing habits and. Uh, almost sort of machinically produce the ideal TV series. Yeah. And, you know, there's examples where they've tried to do that um, and it's been an an absolute failure. Right. Right. Whereas the the successful model for them seems to be, so far anyway, is that they give complete complete creative control to 
writers, directors. Yeah, yeah. And in that sense, you know, the the autonomy of the subject is what potentially produces huge successes in that yeah, sense. So yeah. um, I think it's a very real kind of fear, but it, it always seems to me to be a little bit overstated because it doesn't work. Because in one sense, yeah. you, the, in the same way that the publishing industry couldn't guarantee a bestseller or the yeah. music industry yeah. couldn't guarantee a number one hit just by yeah. studying yeah. what worked before. Yeah, yeah. And human culture seems to have a... Um, uh, an undefinable quality to it which uh, is interesting okay so moving on a little bit then to how um, today then we uh, one of the f for myself um, you know I, I when I when I look at the, the changes and and impacts of technologies uh, on, on our social world today. We seem to be reaching a very uh, real possibility of what we call, might call mass non-working, that robotics and artificial intelligence is going to yeah. actually um, um, take over and, and do huge amounts of yeah. work. Yeah. And we, the model that we've had of, of the 20th century of, of trying to produce an economy of full employment yeah. is so drastically wrong that yeah. we're you know we're essentially going to need to shift to um a, a society where where work is just not yeah. understood in those terms anymore yeah absolutely um and all of those kind of the, the, the you know there's lots of aspects of that which are uh, problematic but uh, in terms of Stiegler and this idea of, of social transformation and different things all of those political formulations from Marx about you know the it's the collective consciousness of the workplace which is the basis for you know yeah. imagining yeah, yeah. new society we don't have that anymore then how does that feed into right. what we need to become? What does Stiegler have to say about the future of work? Okay. Or the, and in one sense, the future of not working yeah. for us. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I mean, one of... Okay, there's a number of points there. The first, the first one is that uh, for him, there's what he's arguing against. And, and it's one of the things that is deeply ingrained in the, in the consciousness of the political consciousness of both the left and the right is is the idea that work is paid employment that that work is is something that you do a set amount of hours and you get paid a specific wage for it uh, and for him and and this is this is uh, part of that kind of um, thing that we talked about earlier about trying to transform capitalization so well, we have to rethink that. We have to rethink about about what work is and and place it in a different economy of value. Okay, so there's a, an important relationship between work and value. And um, so I'll come back to that in a sec. The other element of this is is the idea of community and the state. Uh, for for Stiegler, the idea is that. In order for human life to be worth living, and one of his books is actually called "What Makes Life Worth Living," you have to. It has to be part of a community of certain shared ends, values, and ideals. Um, and for him, the the individual can only be an individual when it's formed within uh, a set of ethical, moral, 
commitments that that make you part of a community. And so for him, the idea of a polis, and this again goes back to classical political thought, the idea of a polis embodies a set of values and ideals, a set of ethical principles that give your individual life meaning. All right, and this, this things like ethics, philosophy, aesthetics, art, literature, all of those things contribute to a certain life of the spirit, which can only be lived <clears throat> as part of something which is a kind of collective existence. So that for him is the responsibility of the state and the polis. And, you know, in Ars Industrialis, one of the one of the manifesto commitments there is to give everybody access to computing and computer technologies. Well, that's part of that process. You can't cut people out of the loop. Everyone has to be able to or has the potential to be able to participate. All right. So on the one hand, we've got this idea of a political commitment to an ethical life, which is formative of the individual, not just as a consumer not just someone who's a bag of wants, who constantly wants the next thing that comes up, but someone who has some kind of sacrificial commitment to a community to be able to say to themselves, I won't do this because if I do this, others will suffer. So, so this, Sorry, just on the question yeah. on that idea of community. I mean, is that a community in which you live that you need to engage in or is that can that be an online community? Oh, I can mean, we think of different yeah, yeah, yeah. No, certainly mediatized communities? No, it doesn't it doesn't has to be it certainly can't be a physical okay. proximity of the village or whatever. Right. It's not yeah. that. Okay. It is explicitly now uh, a community that's technologically mediated. That's what it has to be. It can't be something it, it can't it can't have that sort of Rousseauist idea that, yeah. that there's a kind of collective will that emerges from the physical proximity of everybody. Yeah. It's not that. So, yeah, so there's an idea of a technologically mediated community for which the state is responsible and also economically responsible in the sense that, you know, paying for the paying for the provision of computing facilities for everybody is something that would be part of this gesture that's made towards communal life. And so if we go back to the idea of work, then, you know, we un we've always understood work as part of this economy of commodification. We understood it as part of the economy of labor power, the, the abstract um, expenditure of labor power on the production of commodities on that sort of Marxist model. But what, what Stiegler wants to say is, okay, we've now reached a point where the choices that we have are so urgent and so cosmopolitical in, th in terms of things like global warming, climate change, um, the, the availability of resources, the vulnerability of populations to rising sea levels, all of the sign of global problems that we have. We've now reached a point where those kind of ethical questions and also the question of the constitution of an ethical community, an ethical way of life, has to become work. It has to become labour. It is something which has a value that we have to recognise. And so the, the idea of, of work has to be undergo a kind of transvaluation where we recognise that people who are artists or writers or philosophers are part of an economy of contribution which is organised around not just a kind of utilitarian drive for compound profits, but actually about the production of a community which will be able to intervene in that economy, 
which will be able to kind of, you know, get us to question the value of actually just producing things to secure compound profit. What he wants to suggest is the work of producing an ethical community, an online community, a community of you know people who are linked technologically, is something that we have to come to value as an end in itself. All right, and so that's that for him is part of this idealistic transformation of the economy of capitalization. All right, so I mean, you know, it, that's that in the end is the project. That's what he's trying to to push. That's what he's trying to kind of lobby for through this Ars Industrialis um, project. So it's a pulling together of capitalization and a kind of gift economy idea. Yeah, absolutely. Where there's a, absolutely. a generosity. And yeah, all of, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely, and you know, that, and that does mean. That would mean a state that becomes involved in the affairs of civil society. You know, the big li- the, the, the kind of the fundamental principles of neoliberalism is the state has nothing to do with it. It's a constant process of withdrawal, and you allow people to do whatever they want. Well, Stiegler's Stiegler's point is okay. Well, we've we've been trying this experiment of there is no such thing as society for since the late 1970s, and it's got us nowhere really. Apart from you know the the, the well the, the crises of economic reproduction that's kicked in since two thousand and eight and has been one of the longest lasting you know for the last hundred years or so, um, you know we need to think very seriously now about what what constitutes work, what constitutes the economy of capitalization, and the kind of fundamental ends that we have as human beings. So I think that that's that he doesn't say a massive amount about this idea of an economy of contribution so one of the things I've tried to do is sort of flesh out exactly what it might look like and I think it has to look something like that um, and it's, it ends up being something that's almost kind of Hegelian in its way but based upon this kind of idea of you know recognising that technology isn't external to spirit but which is actually part of it Well thanks very much Ross, I mean there's there's a lot there that uh, I think is uh, we could talk about for a lot longer uh, in all sorts of ways. Uh, certainly what comes across with Stiegler's work is he's, he certainly seems fearless in at least attempting to uh, think through, yeah, the, as you say, very urgent problems yeah. Um, yeah. In, in different ways. And I do like the way in which you know, he... And that goes to the idea of the pharmacon. I mean, he, he, he embraces technologies in, in different ways. Um, he puts himself on YouTube a lot, so he's presumably happy to see platforms as potentially dissem- disseminating useful things, if, if only himself. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, at, at the same time, and I, I think this idea of spirit and community, I mean, all of these, this, the sociality of this is something that's... Uh, because technology is so driven by by economics, it, there's the, it gets a lot of attention in that way. But I think that the, these questions of sociality and, and, and human interrelationships, I mean, that's something that I think his work is very, very good at, at yeah, kind absolutely. of making us, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with saying, well, at a certain point in the not-too-distant past, we lost something and we need yeah. to 
reconnect with that. Yeah, I don't think that's a nostalgic thing. I don't think no. that's in any... And as you said about the idea of community, it isn't something which is, well, we need to go back, you know, hundreds of years no. to some idealised no. uh, no. thing. So I think he's very good in that way. So my last question then, really, I mean, do you think Bernard Stiegler watches Netflix? Do you think he, is, uh, do you think he kicks back and watches films on the TV? What does he... Yeah, but that, that's that's a that's a good question. I, I don't know. I don't know. My answer, my answer to that is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that um, I think that 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 for him, I mean, his his idea about about art and his idea about politics in general is something that transgression itself is isn't. It's valuable, but it's not valuable as an end in itself, and that it has to be something that, in the end, offers something towards a, a kind of communal life and communal existence. So, in that sense, I think he'd probably watch reruns of The Waltons. Okay, well, that's uh, that's an interesting image. Yeah, <laughs> I have to go back to rewatch The Waltons. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Reconnect with John Boy. Yeah, nineteen twenties. Yeah, very good. Okay, well, thank you, Ross. Excellent. Uh, thanks very much. No problem. Thank you very much, John.